Okay, let's turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. <coughs> Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and let's just read from verse 41. It says, Then they gladly received his word, and were ba- uh, sorry, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. <clears throat> and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here once again in your house and to spend time as a, a body of believers around your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you'd speak to us through your word, that Lord, you would empower me through your Holy Spirit, that you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. I pray, Lord, that it be your words, be your thoughts, that Lord, you would teach us and instruct us through your word. Uh, Lord, strengthen my voice, uh, Lord, to get through this today. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored and gloried and praised through it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, Peter has just stood up before the, the great crowd of people who have gathered. Okay, they gathered to witness uh, that great event on the day of Pentecost with the, the people speaking in tongues, okay, speaking in all these different languages. And so Peter has stood up and he's boldly declared unto them that Jesus is their Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. The one that they had crucified, the one they had rejected, was the one they had been waiting for for song. Now, he had come and they had missed him. They had wicked him. And as a result of that sermon, we saw that the people were pricked in their hearts. They were convicted by the spirits. So much so that they cried out in verse 37, what shall we do? And they're convicted by it and they want to know what, what hope is there now for them after they put their own Messiah on the cross. And Peter responds to them by giving them the simple gospel message. He tells them to repent. To repent and we saw last week the repent there is all about having a change of mind about your sin and your relationship with God and that's what these people did they had a change of mind about their sin had a change of mind about Christ and God and they were saved we see that you know people responded to this call here in great numbers with 3,000 being added to the church it says in verse 41 then they that uh, glad received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so the church has begun. And you know, it's grown rapidly from a small group of 120 believers gathered in that upper room to the, to the point now where you've got these 3,000 who've just believed and been baptized and added to the body of Christ, added to the church. Now, the church began with a great bang, if you like, didn't it? You know, the outpouring of the spirits. It began with the, the apostles exercising this great sign gift of tongues. It began with Peter preaching a great evangelistic sermon. But now as chapter 2 draws to a close, Luke tells us how the church continued on. Okay, the church uh, begins with great fanfare. Now he tells us how it was going to continue on on a daily basis. And in verse 42, Luke It tells us that these new believers continued steadfastly in four things. Let's just read verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. These words continue steadfastly here 
mean uh, that these new converts, these new believers, were constantly applying themselves to these things, or they were constantly engaged in these four things. You see, the point is that these 3,000 who got saved, you know, they didn't just walk the aisle, make a profession of faith, and then go back to their old lives. That's not what happened. There was a genuine change that took place, and now these ones who are saved, they now continue steadfastly with the other believers in these four essential elements of a local church. And so what we see in these four essential elements is a pattern for every local church. These are the essential elements that ought to be found within every local body of believers. And so these are the four points I want us to see this morning. I want us to look at these essential elements of a local church. And the first one that we see is the Apostles' Doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine. Look in verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. The first thing we're told here that they were constantly applying themselves to or constantly engaged in as a body of believers was the apostles' doctrine. Now, this, is, this isn't speaking about them being steadfast in the sense that they were steadfast in believing the apostles' doctrine or that they were steadfast in seeking to obey and live in accordance with the apostles' doctrine, although that is certainly true. It's certainly true that they were seeking to live in accordance to what they were taught. But that's not what it's saying here. Rather, what Luke is saying here is that they were constantly sitting under the teaching of the apostles. That's the whole idea here. You see, the word doctrine here literally means teaching. And so they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Okay, that's the whole idea. They were steadfast. They were continually getting together to be taught by the apostles. You see, they relied upon the apostles to show them the truths of God's word. To teach them concerning Christ, concerning their Messiah, the one that crucified. They relied upon the apostles to teach them about what he had done. All the great things he'd done for them and what it now meant to them and what it changed in their lives now. What they should now do with this new knowledge that they found, this new faith they found in Christ. So you've got to remember the New Testament scripture is not written yet. You know, the apostles are going to go on and write the majority of the New Testament for us, but it's not written yet. And so they have to look to the apostles, these ones who are appointed men of God, to teach them and instruct them. Not only concerning Christ, but also concerning the Old Testament as well. They, they look to the apostles to show them the ultimate truths in relation to Christ, how they all fit together. You see, what we see here is a great thirst for the Word of God. That's really what this is talking about here. These, these new Christians, these new believers, they had a great thirst for the Word of God, getting to know more about Him. They wanted to gain a better understanding of Christ and all they had done, and so they came together constantly to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. You see, this is the first essential element for any local church. This is the first essential element, the preaching of the Word. Now, as believers, you know, we ought to desire to sit under the preaching of the Word. It ought to be something we desire to do. We long to come and to sit and be taught the Word of God. We ought to have a thirst for God's Word. You see, this is, the, this is God's desire for us as believers, is it not? 
God's desire for us once we get saved is that we join ourselves to a local body of believers, to a local church, so we might be taught and fed the Word of God, so we might grow spiritually. You know, we've said it before, but, you know, church is like the family meal table, isn't it? You know, this is the, the family, the body of Christ, and we come together for the family meal table, if you like, to be fed the Word of God. And, you know, it is so important that we come together for the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. It's essential. And as believers, we ought to have a great thirst for God's Word, like these early Christians did. But, you know, to be, fed, to be fed spiritually, the local church must itself place a priority on preaching. The local church must understand that this is to be a priority. You know, sadly, in this day and age, this first essential element, you know, this one that should be so obvious, one of the most important elements is being neglected more and more. As you look around the world, in churches all around the world, around our nation itself, this is the thing that's being neglected, isn't it? The pulpit is being set aside, preaching corner, preaching is being given a back seat. It's been neglected and instead the emphasis has been put on music, it's been put on drama, it's been put on entertainments. And you know, this is because more and more we think that we have to do something extra to keep them, don't we? You know, more and more we seem to think we have to do something that's appealing, that'll bring the crowds in, that'll keep people in once they get here. You know, it's a fact that people today have itching ears. People today won't endure sound doctrine. Let's just turn to 2 Timothy. Because this is what the Apostle Paul spoke about. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second <clears throat> Timothy 4 and verse 1. It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall return unto fables. You know, Sp Paul, he spoke about these days, and beloved, we are living in those days. We're living in these days where people have itching ears, where people won't endure sound doctrine. People today want to be entertained. They don't want to sit under preaching and to listen. Not just the unsaved, Christians as well want to be entertained. They don't want to sit and endure sound doctrine, sound teaching from the Word of God. But you know, that doesn't mean we should abandon the preaching of the Word doesn't mean we should abandon that which God has chosen as his method for the local church. Let's just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, 
the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, as foolish as preaching may be to the world, it's God's chosen method. It's God's chosen vehicle for us to deliver the gospel message. It's God's chosen method for once we are saved to then grow and to be taught in the word of God. The preaching of God's word must be a priority within the local church. It's an essential part of any local church, an essential part of this local church. It's essential to the spiritual growth of the saints. Secondly, we see here, the second essential element is fellowship. Fellowship, back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship. The word fellowship here is the Greek word quinonia. And it has the idea of association, communion, or participation. It also speaks of sharing in something. You see, these new believers, they now shared something in common. They shared a common faith. And so naturally, they gravitated together. Naturally, they spend time together. You know, they've turned from the, the Jewish faith and they've become Christians. Okay? In a sense, it's the same faith, but they've turned to become Christians. And so they've now gathered together, they fellowship together, they've got something in common. They encourage one another and they're, they're aiding one another in the faith. You see, many because of this newfound faith would have been ostracized from their families. Again, you've got to put it in context, don't we? You know, Jewish families would have rejected them because they had now accepted Christ as the Messiah. And so many would have been rejected by their own families, but now they find fellowship with fellow believers. They find fellowship in this local body that's gathered together. They find others who share the same struggles, the same joy, the same, the same faith, the same worship. And so they fellowship together. You see, the point is there was great unity, there was great love amongst this newfound body of believers. And part of the outworking of this fellowship can be seen in the verses that follow. Look in verse 43. It says, And fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now here we see described how the believers banded together to aid one another, to help one another. We read of them selling possessions and parting them amongst men, helping each other. Okay, Those who are in need, they're giving to them. Those who have much are giving to those who have nothing. They're aiding one another. There's great fellowship, there's great unity and love amongst this body of believers. And we need to remember that many of those who had believed on the day of Pentecost, they were only in Jerusalem because it was the festival time. They traveled to Jerusalem for the festival. And this means that as they stayed on in Jerusalem, and many did, as they stayed on, they were without jobs, they were without income, they were without many things. And so the Christians band together as a family and they aid one another. They share what they have to help their fellow Christians, their fellow brothers in Christ. 
you know, we shouldn't re regard this here as meaning that we have to sell all. We shouldn't regard this as meaning that we have to sell all and live in a commune somewhere or have all things in common. That's not the idea here. Rather, what we should see here is an example of love. We should see in this an example of unity, an example of fellowship, love and care that we should have for each other in Christ. You see, we see here an example of the unity that should be found within every local body of believers. The local church should be a place of fellowship for those who know Christ. Those who know Christ should feel welcome here, welcome in this local body. You know, as believers, we, we face trials, we face afflictions in life. But as we go through those trials, we have the local body to aid us. We have the local body to encourage us, come alongside and give help where needed. You see, we share a common faith. We serve the same God. We, we have the same joy in our hearts. We go through the same struggles. And all of this means that our fellowship together as a body of believers is essential, isn't it? It's an essential part of this church, gathering together, not just sitting in the pew, but actually fellowshipping together. Love and unity for one another. It's essential to encourage and strengthen and build one another up in the faith. Now, this is why it's so important for us to, once we get saved, join a local body. This is why it's important for us to then be regular in our attendance so that we might have fellowship with God's people, so we might surround ourselves with others of like faith. Just turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Ten verse forty five it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now here we see the importance of fellowship. And we're told that we should fellowship together as a body of believers, and we should do it more as we approach the return of Christ, not less. It's something we should do more often. Gather together, spend time together, fellowship together. And we do it wise, so we might exhort one another, so we might encourage one another. As verse 24 says, so we might provoke one another unto love and to good works. See, that's what the local body does for one another, isn't it? We encourage one another in the faith. We lift one another up. Fellowship is an essential part of any local body of believers. Thirdly, here we see the third essential element is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 again. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. Now we've seen the essentials of preaching. We've seen the essentials of fellowship. And now thirdly, we see that they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. And this seems to be Luke's term for what the Apostle Paul calls later on the Lord's Supper. Okay, it seems they're speaking about the same thing. And so what Luke is telling us here is that these believers continually were remembering the Lord's death together. They were continually coming around the Lord, sorry, the Lord's table. <laughs> Made a mess. <laughs> they were coming around the Lord's table to celebrate and remember the Lord's death, burial and resurrection. 
You know, Christ had made it clear when he was here on earth that this was something that believers are to do often in remembrance of him. Just turn to Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Luke 22. <clears throat> Luke 22 and verse 19. It says, And he took bread and gave thanks and break it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. You know, Christ instituted this remembrance feast. Christ was the one who instituted these elements. You know, taking the elements of the Passover meal and applying them to himself as we know taking the bread and, and the bread represents his broken body for you and i the cup representing his shed blood for us there on the cross and having instituted this remembrance feast christ tells us that we are to do it often in remembrance of him remembrance of what he's done for us and this is what we see the early church doing here in Acts chapter 2. The church has just begun and what do they do? What's the, one of the essential elements? They're constantly coming together and remembering the Lord's death. Now even though Christ had only died on the cross some 50 days earlier, they're still gathering together to do this often. It's fresh in their minds. But they still don't want to forget what Christ had done for them. So as a body of believers, they are steadfast in the breaking of bread, celebrating the Lord's table. You know, the Lord's table is one of the two ordinances that has been given to the church. The other, of course, is baptism. And being an ordinance of the church, you know, we must ever be faithful to include this essential element in our worship. You know, and to do it often. And in this church, we do it at least once, maybe twice a month. You know, some churches do it every week, but, you know, as long as we do it often, as long as we're doing it often in the remembrance of the Lord. It's an essential part of our worship. And, you know, we must understand also the seriousness of this remembrance feast. Turn to 1 Corinthians. I know we go here often at the Lord's table. But let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 11. We go there often because it is such a good passage concerning the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 <clears throat> says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he brake it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. You know, Paul here describes the Lord's table and he also describes for us the seriousness of this remembrance feast. You know, Paul tells us that here at the church at Corinth there was believers who partook in an unworthy manner. 
And because they did this, because they partook in an unworthy manner, we read that they are sick and some even slept. In other words, they were dead. They'd suffer the consequences of their sin. You see, the point is, they were not coming together with the right heart. They were not coming together to remember and focus on the Lord and what He had done. It talks about how they raced before others to get more of the feast. Because often they would have a meal first and they'd have the Lord's table at the end. And so they were just gorging themselves. They weren't really coming together to consider and to remember what Christ had done with the right heart attitude. They were partaking in an unworthy manner. And so they suffered for their sin. Beloved, we must understand that this is not something to be taken lightly. This essential element of the church is not something we can just take lightly. It is important. It's a remembrance feast that we must come to with our hearts right before Him. That's why we will often put in the bulletin and we're announced that it's coming up so we can prepare our hearts. So we can come with our focus on Him. Now as we part, our focus should solely be upon Him. Put all our distractions from our mind and focus solely upon Him and what He has done for us. Remembering Him and giving thanks to Him. Indeed, we must make, must make sure we do not take this essential element lightly, but partake in a worthy manner. You see, the Lord's table is essential for any local church. It constantly reminds you and I of our redemption through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fourthly now, we see the last essential element was prayer. Prayer. Go back to Acts chapter 2 again. Verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostleship and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now lastly, in this verse, we're told they were steadfast in prayer. We've seen that the preaching of the word, fellowship and the Lord's table are essential elements. And now we see that prayer. Prayer is also an essential element for the local church. And now while prayer as individuals at home is essential, that's not what's in focus here. What's in focus here is praying together as a body of believers, praying together as a church. You see, the early church, they understood the necessity of regularly gathering together to pray, praying together. They understood the power of prayer. Now, although the book of Hebrews hadn't been written yet, these believers understood the great privilege they had in coming before the Lord to pray. Let's turn to Hebrews 4. <clears throat> Again, another passage we know well, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> and begin reading from verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, you know, we need to remember that these believers here are Jews. They're Jews. And for centuries, the only one who had access into the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies, was the high priest. And even then, the high priest could only go in 
on the Day of, day of Atonement, once a year, with a blood sacrifice. But now with Christ dying on the cross, the veil has been rent in twain from top to bottom. The way has been made open for all. Christ the great high priest with his sacrifice has made it possible for all to come boldly under the throne of grace. All who are saved to come boldly under the throne of grace through Christ their great high priest. Come boldly with their petitions. You see these Jewish believers, they understood the great privilege they now had. They understood the way was now open through Christ and they didn't neglect it. They spent much time in prayer seeking the aid of the Lord. Seeking the power of the Lord. You know, they knew if they were going to stand in the face of opposition, they needed the power of God. They knew if they were going to be effective for Him here on earth, they needed the power of God. And so these believers were steadfast continually in prayer. You know, likewise, we must understand as a church the importance of praying together. As I said, praying as individuals is important. And our prayer life as individuals is of utmost importance. But just as important is praying together as a body of believers. You see, it's our opportunity as a church to come together and to petition the throne of God concerning our community, concerning our ministries, concerning those in need, concerning the unsaved that we have contact with, to pray for the sick, to pray for our missionaries. It's our opportunity as a body of believers to petition the throne of grace. You know, and as a church, as we pray, we then can watch as the Lord works, as the Lord answers those prayers. You see, praying as a church is something we must not neglect. You know, it is the most powerful tool that we have. And yet it is the most neglected tool that we have. We must pray as a church, petition the throne of grace and watch as the Lord works. You know, as you look through church history and you look at all the great revivals, you know where they all began? They all began with a body of believers getting together to pray. I read a quote this week that said, there has never been a revival that didn't begin with prayer. And beloved, I don't know about you, but we need revival in this country. We need revival in this valley, do we not? And if we want to see that happen, we want to see the Lord do a mighty work, then we need to pray together fervently as a church. You must understand the importance of the midweek prayer meeting. It is so important to the church. The whole reason we have a prayer meeting is so we can have time to come together and petition the throne of grace as a church. Now I praise God that in this church we have a prayer meeting that is well attended. And we do get together to pray. You know, beloved, sadly, around this country of ours in churches that are good churches, the prayer meeting is becoming more and more neglected. It's becoming the least attended meeting. And worse, it's getting to the point where some are thinking about cancelling it because there's no one coming. Beloved, I pray that's never the case here. Let us always remember the importance of praying together as a church. Praying fervently together. Because, beloved, as we do, then the Lord will work, the Lord will answer. Why? Because we're praying according to His will. He says, Lord, if we ask anything according to His will, in His name, He will answer. 
And a prayer that's together as a church for our community, for the unsafe, for our ministries, is a prayer that's according to God's will. And we need to get together and pray and watch as the Lord answers those prayers. You know, the result of these four essential elements is seen in verse 47. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know, as these believers steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrine, preaching of the word, as they continued in fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer, God then added to the church daily such as should be saved. God gave the increase. You see, because as they were gathering together to do these things, this is what the purpose of the church is. The purpose of the church is the edification of the saints, the building up of the saints, perfection of the saints for the work of the ministry. The whole purpose of the church is to perfect this so we might then do the work of the ministry, so we might then see souls saved. And so, beloved, like the early church, we as a church must ever be faithful in these essential elements. We must preach the word, gather together for fellowship, gather around the Lord's table, remembering Him, and we must pray fervently. And when we do, when we are faithful in these things, God will use us effectively. To His glory in this valley, God will give the increase. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the book of Acts. Lord, for the early church, and Lord, for the example that we see from this body of believers. Lord, I pray that you help us as a church to be faithful in these four essential elements. That, Lord, preaching will always have a priority in this pulpit. That, Lord, you'd help us to be faithful in fellowshipping together, unity, love for one another. Lord, gathering around the Lord's table and giving thanks in seriousness, remembering what you've done for us. And, Lord, help us to gather together to pray. Pray fervently, Lord, and then watch as you work. Lord, may your blessings be closed. Remember these truths I pray in Jesus' name.